Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. And I remember um, driving through kind of the in-between space between Spokane and Seattle, Washington uh, years ago. Jen and I, I think, had just been married. And I've never driven through a mountain range like this. I mean, it was just covered in snow. I believe it was January. We had just visited Jen's family. And we're going from eastern Washington uh, back towards the coast. And I am just amazed at all of the snow that's around me. And as we're driving, um, I realize that the, the windshield continues to get super cold, things like that, the defroster on. And, and pretty soon I realize that it's, it's not the defroster that's going to help. I need to actually spray this, the fluid, the windshield wiper fluid, onto the glass in order for it to be clean. And it's great. We're driving for about 20 minutes, and we probably still have another 30 minutes to go. And all of a sudden, I go and press that button to clear my windshield to get a, make sure I have a safe and clear view on these snowy, windy roads. And all of a sudden, it runs out of fluid. And I immediately start getting very nervous that this whole trip could become uh, very different because I can't see correctly. And so I, I start looking around and we find some water bottles and like every minute or so I had to reach my arm out the window, pour water on there, get the windshield wipers going. And for whatever the reason, I had to do that to the remainder of the trip till I could get to a gas station and get some windshield wiper fluid and put it back in. And what's so fascinating about that trip is what began as this ability to see the beauty of the cold and the snow around us, that same thing began to start clouding our view. And as our focus began to diminish, as our clarity began to diminish, all of a sudden that thing that was so beautiful all of a sudden changed and became something that we were trying to uh, deal with and avoid. And the, the reason I tell you that story is the Apostle Paul, after Jesus had died and resurrected, writes a letter to this church uh, in Colossae. And, he, and as he's writing this letter, He's begging the church to change their perspective. What had happened is this beautiful and clear view that they had had all of a sudden began to be uh, fogged and polluted by these different things that were threatening the gospel that they had received. So as a church, over the next few weeks, we are going to be taking a look at this letter um, called Colossians, and as we do, we're going to be able to understand what was the Apostle Paul writing about? What was the Holy Spirit inspiring this, him to write to this young church so that they would be able to see clearly? And what's amazing is as we begin a new year and as we are, find ourselves in the middle of a season that feels um, disorienting and exhausting, um, I have repeatedly sensed that what we need more than ever is clarity. It's focus. It's being able to see exactly how Jesus sees. That when we see how Jesus sees, that even if the circumstances don't change, our approach to the circumstances change, our endurance changes, our hope 
changes. And Paul writes to this church and he talks about how Christ in you is the hope of glory. That there's something about the nature and the person of Jesus Christ that changes everything. It changed everything 2,000 years ago. It's changing everything now. And so I want to invite you on a journey that as a church, we would look at this small letter. It's only four chapters. But as we go through it slowly, verse by verse, is that my prayer is that our community would gain a greater sense of clarity, that the gospel would begin to wipe away the things that have become frozen and hardened over in our hearts and lives, and that we would be able to see with clarity how Jesus sees. Now, in order to do that, before we can dive into the book and to see with that clarity, uh, it's going to aid us a lot to understand what was going on when Paul was writing this. Who were the Colossians? Who's Paul? Where was he writing this? Why did he write this? And in order for us to be able to just get the, the fullness and the richness of this passage, um, we're just going to take the next few minutes. I just want to kind of help paint the picture, the backdrop of what's going on here before we start actually reading the text. So the first thing that would be really significant for us to understand is where this is taking place and when this is taking place. This is taking place during the Roman Empire, which means as Paul is writing this town in Colossae, it is heavily influenced by Roman rule. And so if you've ever studied about the Roman Empire, and if you've gone through school, you definitely have, uh, there's never been anything like the Roman Empire up to that point, and there's never been anything like it since. Uh, It had spanned the length of over a thousand years where they ruled the known world. Um, Some people argue that the land space that they had would have been about four million uh, square miles around the world, which is essentially everything that they knew. Um, You think about America's 3,000 feet across. America's uh, 300 Uh, something years old. And here is his empire that is massive and established. Uh, There's three things that kind of defined the Roman Empire that that made its lasting imprints called the Romanas. Uh, The first one is that Rome was known for its roads. And so there was over 50,000 miles of roads that would span all across the ancient world. Some of those roads are literally still being used today. Some of the bridges are still being used that they built. And by building those roads, it was kind of our version of the internet. It's really the first step towards globalization. All of a sudden, trade and all of a sudden access to the world and world philosophies and world religions and different places was all of a sudden blown wide open. And so the Romans took from these different cultures and things like that and kind of created what they believed to be kind of the greatest uh, culture of the world. And then they spread it throughout um, all all of the towns and cities and countries around them. The second thing was there is this uh, phrase called Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. So for about a few hundred years, in their thousand, it was one of the most peaceful time in ancient history. Now, it was peaceful because of how oppressive Rome was. They were so thorough in their military um, uh, exploits that no one could beat them. And so if you bowed your knee to the Roman Empire, which the entire ancient world did, there is no more enemies. And so there is this kind of 
sense of Roman peace, but it wasn't a peace like everything in this right place. It was peace in that uh, you just do what you're told and you'll be okay. The third thing that kind of defined the Roman Empire was what's known as Roman law. Um, a lot of our um, judicial system today and other countries around the world drew from Roman law. And so uh, just, again, for us to understand, Paul is sitting, as he's writing this, in a jail cell in Rome, writing to a town in Colossae about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and he's writing to them, and they are living in this world. They're living as kind of pawns in this greater world power that's going on. And somehow, the movement of Jesus, which began as kind of this fringe sect of Judaism in kind of the northern region of Israel, in the Sea of Galilee, began to start growing and growing and growing. And within 300 years, this Roman Empire I just described was over 50% Christian. And this is before Constantine made it kind of the national religion as kind of a power play. And so what was it about this movement that literally took the ancient world? What kind of vision did they have that changed everything? The second thing we need to understand is that the author, Paul, is not writing this from his office. He's writing this from prison cell. Uh, he's writing this having been captured and appealing to Caesar. And he writes this specific letter because uh, before this, he had spent about three years in Ephesus planting the church there. And while he was there, missionaries would come in and out. And one of those missionaries was named Epaphras or Epaphroditus. And Epaphras went to Colossae, where he was from, and he started what we would have called like a Bible study. And that Bible study grew into a small church. When Paul was imprisoned, Epaphras, who had planted that church, all of a sudden realized that this beautiful move of God that was happening was all of a sudden under massive threat of becoming, uh, dissolving into a heresy and dissolving into something that was so far from the gospel. So Epaphras leaves Colossae, goes to Rome to visit Paul. And Paul, at that time, theologians believe he was writing the letter to the Ephesians, borrows a lot of that language and writes a direct letter to the church in Colossae. And the reason why he's doing this is he's addressing a certain threat and a certain problem. And again, the book of Colossians is beautiful, but if we don't understand the occasion, why is Paul writing this? Uh, then we might miss some of the beauty and the power and the nuance that's going on in this letter. And so the problem is we only have Paul's side of it. Um, it would be like reading one uh, version of a text thread or, or you're only seeing part of the movie. And so... Theologians have done their best to put together what was the threat based on what Paul's writing that would have caused him to write this urgent letter to the, to the Colossians. Um, and there's three things that are important for us to recognize, the three threats that were known to them. Number one was Roman syncretism. Uh, there was the massive temptation uh, to assimilate, to syncretize the Roman world and this new belief system, this new reality called the kingdom of God. Secondly, there was a threat called Gnostic mysticism. 
the Gnostics were this, this kind of group of people that came out of Judaism and Christianity that believed that there had to be this secret knowledge that maybe 95% of you understand kind of the basic truths, but the Gnostics believed there was this special, mystical kind of truth. And if you didn't understand that version of the truth, then you were missing um, the, the true spirituality. And so there's Roman syncretism, there's Gnostic mysticism, and then there is religious moralism. And so what happened is this new church, primarily of, of non-Jews and Gentiles, uh, also started having influence by the other kind of more traditional Jewish um, leaders in that town to say, oh, it's great that you're believing in Jesus, but you're going to need to add to it some laws. Um, you're going to need to add to it, as a matter of fact, 613 of them, all of the Jewish laws you'll need to follow. So here is this beautiful, vibrant church that has started in Colossae, and now it is being threatened by assimilating into the Roman worldview and culture, by being pulled away, thinking they don't know enough by the Gnostic mysticism, and then by being pressured by religious moralism, saying, well, it's great you believe in Jesus, but you need to add this as well. And so understanding those three things, Paul writes this letter. And if you were to summarize the entire letter of Colossians, it would be summarized like this. It is about the preeminence and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The preeminence and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Simply put this, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so with that in mind, I want to read the first 14 verses, the opening lines of this letter, but I want us to read it through that lens. Now that we know that about the world that's going on around them, the setting, the author, the threat, the occasion, the main theme, I want you to listen to what Paul writes here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love is spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. That's come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So, I mean, great start. Paul has so many, he's called, Paul's never been there. As far as we know, he never actually went there. But he's heard about the reputation of this church, and it's good. It's about faith and love, and, and the gospel is bearing fruit. And he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of His will through all the wisdom understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, what a beautiful introduction. And there's so much here. Um, And so just four things, though. I wanted to highlight that really would have stood out to the original audience. Number one is this idea of a heavenly hope. Uh, this, this sense of your, the faith and love that's coming out of the Colossians church. It comes, it's, it's, it's birthed out of this hope they have of heaven. It's this new perspective. Secondly, um, he prays and he asks God to give them a spiritual knowledge for them to have clarity with all of these things coming in around them. Thirdly, is that he's, he's praying that when they have this knowledge, is that they would have a fruitful life, a life pleasing to God, um, and that they would have a focus. This is where we're going. This is the kind of life that Christ is calling us to. And lastly, he reminds them that we have been rescued out of the dominion of darkness, and we have brought, been brought into a redemptive kingdom, the kingdom of light. And so let's kind of work through these four different themes in Paul's introduction here. Um, And again, uh, the setting and the context, the introduction, this is all going to help frame the next few weeks as we dive into this book. And number one, I want to highlight that Paul is praising this community. Like you you guys um, have faith. You have a reputation of faith. You have a reputation of loving your brothers and sisters. And he says that that faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. This is interesting. That the love and the faith that has marked the Colossian church has a source, and that source is its heavenly hope. Its heavenly hope is the thing that is springing out of it, faith and love. And then this is what's so amazing about this, is that in a world that was incredibly... um, polytheistic. It was incredibly um, all about pleasure and things like that. I mean, the Roman Empire has a lot of similarities to now. There's something about the Colossian church that they understood that heaven was their home and that heavenly home shaped their earthly perspective. I mean, have you ever, have you ever hiked to the top of a mountain? And uh, I literally did that this week. I was, I was on a long run and I I saw this new trailhead, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to run. And, and so I'm going up and up and up in this canyon, and it's close to my house. And all of a sudden, when I get to the top, I look around. I realize that I have had a skewed view of my neighborhood. I thought this was closer to that, and I thought this was over here. But it was the, high, it was the height of the perspective that I was looking at that changed my understanding of where I was living my everyday life. Heaven does the same thing for us. When we have a heavenly hope, it changes how we see today. When we, are, we allow our hearts and minds to fixate on uh, the hope of glory that awaits us, all of a sudden that changes how we live today. C.S. Lewis says this, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, 
But one of the things as a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. I love Lewis's words. Two things specifically. One, that he defines, hey, hope is a virtue. And I think we have cheapened hope into becoming a feeling. But the Bible describes hope as a virtue. Virtues are things you have to cultivate, not feelings that just happen to you. It's like patience. If I just, I just, if I just waited for patience to happen to me, um, that would never be existent in my life. Patience is a virtue I have to cultivate. In the same way, hope isn't just something that happens to me based on my personality or circumstances. Hope is something I'm called to cultivate. And what I do when I cultivate hope, it lifts me up higher as I look towards my heavenly home. It informs and reforms how I see what's going on here. And Lewis points out, the people who think about heaven the most have to do the most present good around here. And I think this is what Paul is pointing to. He says, everything that you're doing is so amazing. I'm thanking God for your love and your faith. I understand that the faith you have in God, the love you have for the people around you is rooted in your heavenly home, which begs the question, when we don't have a heavenly hope, our only alternative is to have an earthly one. And when our hope is based on earthly, temporal, fractured fallen people and systems, our faith will begin to wane and our love will begin to diminish. And if you don't believe me, just think about the effects of the week we just had. What are we seeing? We're seeing people's uh, faith rattled. We're seeing people's love begin to be tested and diminished. And it doesn't mean that we don't have space for lament. What it means is that if we don't have our hope in heaven, and we and sadly we see this, we begin to start finding other places to place that hope. And when those things fall, it shatters us. Rather than when we um, have our hope in heaven and the things in the world begin to fall or falter, we can enter into it not, again, like Lewis said, not as an escapist, not like, well, I, that doesn't bother me. But rather, we can engage it with the greater level of hope because hope brings a clear perspective because we understand that we can enter into these spaces. And this is what Paul's pointing out. Is your, your faith and your love is coming from the hope that you have that's rooted in heaven. And so that's, that's Paul's thanksgiving. But then he says what he's asking for. He says, I ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now again, this, this is kind of our second point of spiritual knowledge. Think about what this means for those who have been pressured by the, myst, the kind of the Gnostic mystics. Coming and whispering and says, hey, it's great you know that, but there's a deeper truth. By the way, this happens all the time. This happens in our culture. This isn't just a history lesson. This happens all the time in our, in our daily lives. Is that, oh, it's great that you follow Jesus, but let me show you a different way. Let me pull you away with, with this kind of uh, seduct seductive way of thinking, this different kind of theology. And what they're doing is they're trying to bend that, you know what, the gospel is just really, it's not enough. 
And so what does Paul ask for for the church in Colossae? That you be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding of the spirit gifts. I mean, it is a poetic yet direct attack against the Gnostic mysticism. Jesus is enough. The knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of God's wisdom, what he's done through Christ, it is enough. Um, I remember um, when Zoe was in kindergarten, she was learning how to read. And we'd find herself uh, squinting and things like that. Um, We ended up taking her to the doctor and realized that she needed glasses. I mean, can you imagine five-year-old Zoe with glasses on? It's as cute as you can imagine. But what was so fascinating is we realized that not only did she have that just, just a super cute new aesthetic, what we found is she could now read. We found out that what we thought might have been her inability to start reading at the pace that she should have actually wasn't a lack of her knowing. It wasn't a lack of her um, trying. It was a lack of her clarity. She literally needed to change her view so that she could be able to engage the world. And this is Paul's, this is Paul's prayer for the church in Colossians, that you be filled with a different kind of knowledge. My, my prayer for you this year is, is for us, number one, to recognize how much we are being discipled by the culture around us. And my, my prayer is for, is for greater clarity, is for our church, anyone who's watching this, to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he would be the new lens in which we see the world. Again, not to escape it, but to engage it with a healthy new perspective. Thirdly, what we see in the opening of his letter, he says that once we understand the beauty of the hope we have, as he asks that God give us new wisdom and knowledge, he says that once we have this knowledge, he says, so that, he's praying that so that, you may have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good word, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So so Paul just, in the very beginning, just points out, here's the focal point, right? Here's, Here's the goal. It's a fruitful life. I mean, just think about that. I mean, if you you have a heavenly hope, if you are filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you have the clarity and perspective you need to be able to focus on the goal. And that is to have a fruitful life, a fruitful life specifically defined by the gospel. And so he goes and says all these words, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. I want you to bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, having great endurance and patience. I mean, what a beautiful portrait of the life that happens that is transformed by the gospel. But something that's fascinating, two things that that I want to point out. Number one, that we'd be strengthened with with all power according to his glorious might. And this is so, so essential. That as we, as the, the life God has called us to comes into focus. I mean, if you've ever used a, a, a real camera that has a lens that you can focus, as things come into focus, it's important for us to recognize 
that the life God is calling to ultimately comes because of the strength that he provides, not the willpower that you flex. He's the one who comes in and gives you the ability to be able to step into that life, to have the patience and that the endurance that 2021 is going to require of you is not going to come just because you decided that you're going to do it. It's going to come when you tap into the reality that it is by His glorious might that He brings power and strength. And we get to receive that. That becomes our focal point. Warren Worsby says, The remedy for discouragement is the Word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. And this is why Paul puts it in this order. How, how can you have renewed strength to live the life God's called you to live? Well, it's you have to have the right perspective. Well, how are you going to have the right perspective unless you have the correct lens? Unless you can actually understand, what is God saying? What does He say about me? What does He say about this life? And if we aren't being formed by that, Again, please don't hear me. I'm not, I'm not calling our church to religiosity or moralism. I'm, I'm calling us to something significantly more desperate than that. It's we have to wipe away the things that are clouding our vision. And that only happens when we have a clear view of who Jesus is. Period. It only happens when we have the perspective of our heavenly home. It only happens when we have the clarity that comes with the knowledge that comes through the scriptures. And it only happens when we recognize that the journey we're on only gets to be fulfilled when we're strengthened by Jesus Christ. Lastly, this this introduction ends with some good news. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul just it begins with this thankfulness for the faith and the hope, that have, their faith and love that's come from hope. Then he says, I'm asking that you would understand you don't have to believe these Gnostic mystics that there's some sort of secret knowledge. You just need to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says that when you do that, he's like, I have joy in my heart that you would remember God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into God's redemptive work, the kingdom of light. Nothing is more vital to our vision, how we see, uh, more than just the perspective and clarity and focus, it's light. We have to have light to see. Even if we have the best perspective, even if we have the greatest lens, even if we have perfect clarity, if there is no light, there is no sight. And this is why Paul ends this section just reminding them of the kingdom of light that we've been brought into. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. What is he doing? He's reminding of the gospel they first heard. He's saying, don't forget this. This is enough. 
Look, you can't exhaust the gospel. You can't graduate from the gospel. Listen, there are, there are things that yes, God wants to grow us in deeper, but please hear me. If you've listened to a thousand sermons or this is your first one, the gospel never gets to be moved beyond. It's not like somehow we're like, okay, great, I understood that God's rescued us, He saved us, and, and now what do I do? No, what we find in the opening letter of Colossians is the problem wasn't for them to travel to a new knowledge, it's for them to return to the truth of the gospel, the redemption that He brings. But here's what's amazing um, about this, this beautiful reality is that as much as our heavenly perspective is important, it, like Lewis said, it is not escapism. It's our heavenly perspective that gives us clarity of what it looks like to bring heaven here. We are part of God's redemption in this world to bring light into darkness. This is our role. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. And this is what Jesus did. The good news of the kingdom that Jesus came to announce is like, guys, don't worry. After you die, it's all going to be okay. And that's, that's, a, that's a part of the truth. But it was, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And also, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You get to go and do likewise. Greater things will you do. I mean, this is the part of the kingdom of God God, that should ignite us as a church. And something that I'm calling us back to, that 2021 would not be uh, uh, the cry of our heart to just be to return to normalcy, but that even when things are normal, we would have greater clarity and perspective. We have greater focus because we have remembered the light of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Not only of where we are going, but what God is wanting to bring here. That the reality and the priorities of heaven would be allowed to be brought here through his people. And so this is what I would love and encourage you to do. If you're watching this at home, um, or maybe you're on the drive to work or something like that, uh, would you find some, some time in, in your day uh, to have communion? This has been a, uh, a rattling week for, for many of us, for all of us who call the United States our home. Uh, and how people have responded to it um, has been very different. And even as I've been praying and talking with many people within our church, what I've realized is that there is so much pain and hurt that is accentuated because of the exhausting and painful year that we've had. That we're, there, the sense of longing for justice, the sense of longing for peace, the sense of longing for truth, is at an all-time high. And as much as we can sit around and hopefully have gracious dialogue about how to engage politics and what this means at a social level, I mean, it has to begin at the table. It has to begin at the Lord's table. 
We as the church cannot lead the charge in division. We as the church have to lead the charge in redemption. And that looks like what Jesus modeled for us on the night of his betrayal. When he gathered around the people and began to start breaking bread among them, saying, this is my body broken for you. Taking the cup of redemption and sharing it, saying, this is my blood shed for you, the the sign of the new covenant. And I would just encourage you, more than anything I think right now is a starting point for the year and even after a week like this, is we need to come back to the table. And so what I would love for you to do is over the next, um, if you're going to watch the worship song that's coming on after this, to really let the Lord engage your heart and maybe use that as a time to break the bread. Um, to, again, whether you're doing that virtually with us as Light Church, if you have a roommate or, or some family around or friends, um, to recognize that this is an amazing and significant moment for us to come around the blood and body of Jesus Christ given to us so that we can begin to live this life in a different reality. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that in in an ancient world filled with cultural pressures and and threats to the gospel, um, Lord, your kingdom advanced. And Lord, I pray that it would just continue to advance today. And Lord, I pray that it would advance Lord Jesus, not through ideologies, not through, um, not through uh, the, the anger of man that says, Scripture says, not produce the righteousness of God. Lord, but would it be advanced through your kingdom and through your gospel? And so, Lord, I pray that you would let the, the, the sacrifice, the loving sacrifice you made for us form us, change our perspective Grant us clarity. Strengthen us. Lord, we desperately need you. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for for the letters like Colossians and the scriptures, Lord God, that can continue to wipe away uh, the fog that's in our lives, Lord Jesus, so that we can see your heavenly reality more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.